And if you have a Bible with you, uh, you may want to open your Bible at uh, the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. We're in Revelation chapter 3, going to look at the first uh, six verses, um, referring to the church in, in Sardis. And, and Sardis was a, a location that was renowned for its wealth. It had uh, lots of gold, lots of silver, and had all this um, coinage, minted coinage that they were able to use for trade and so on. And because of its wealth, Sardis was continu continually under um, the constant threat of attack. So the city itself became fortified under the direction of King Croesus, but it was attacked and eventually fell to Antiochus the Great in 195 BC. Uh, then in AD 17, just a number of years later, it was destroyed again by a, a heavy earthquake. Uh, and this time the Roman Emperor Tiberius, he rebuilt the city, causing the people, the citizens of Sardis to actually become worshippers of Tiberius and of the goddess Sybil. So he was a renowned, respected, revered character considered to be a god. And somewhere in all of this mix, we have these believers sitting in Sardis, worshipping Jesus Christ, hoping to live for him. And we can't be certain, but it is very possible that this church was planted there by the Apostle Paul sometime during his um, ministry uh, to Ephesus. So he, he's working in Ephesus and he reaches out and plants this church in Sardis, potentially sometime around that. But what we do know for definite is that within 40 years of the church having been established. Now, 40 years isn't a long time, but within the church having been established of that 40-year period, the, 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 these believers have somewhat distanced themselves from the teachings and the practices of Jesus Christ. They've moved into a position of spiritual decline. So Jesus, sadly, refers to them as being a dead church. He calls them dead. And in verse 1, we see Jesus referring to himself as being the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And we know from Revelation 1 verse 4 that the Apostle John, inspired by the Spirit of God, writes, the seven, writes to the seven churches that are in Asia. So inspired in that way, John's reaching out, writing to these seven churches that are the main springs, if you want, of the evangelical work in the, the region of Asia. We also know from chapter 1 verse 16 that Jesus holds the seven stars in his right Hand. So overall, we can see the personal care of our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus, for these churches that he's redeemed and for his messengers who he has placed in care over them. You see, we see Jesus giving the Holy Spirit as his gift to the church, and then he gives the church shepherds to lead the church, shepherds, overseers, pastors, ministers to lead the church. It seems like this church in Sardis, however, was busily, tragically quenching the ministry of the Holy Spirit among them. So they had lost their desire to be um, uh, functioning as a body of believers that were directed by God, the Spirit, nor did they want any necessarily spiritually qualified pastors. So they had lost their godly leadership, and therefore the church was beginning to succumb and accept all sorts of teaching. Unbiblical practices were quite accepted with them. They had fallen to this position. So Jesus says to them, sadly and tragically, this is Jesus speaking to his redeemed people, to his church. He says, to me, Sardis, you are dead. And he tells them, I know your works. You've got this reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Uh, I know you've got this good reputation, but it's a false reputation. You're actually dead. And he tells them that. Uh, incredibly dead churches 
seem to continue to practice religious activity. Somehow there's something in all of us that we seem to love something about religious activity. But Jesus says to them at the end of verse 2, I have not found your works complete, or I haven't found your works completed in the sight of my God. Your works are not suitable. Your works are not satisfying. So Jesus is making it very clear to the church in Sardis and all similar churches, your works, your deeds, they're unsatisfactory. All your good deeds, they're unacceptable. It's like he is saying to them, you're being acknowledged, you're being recognized for your charitable works, you're being recognized for the good deeds you do, for the difference that you make in society, but I know you well, and you're, you're living a lie. Your works and your deeds are not really who you are. So what the church in Sardis failed to, uh, to realize what the Lord, in a sense, was no longer with them. His spirit was taken from them. He was gone from them. Now, sadly, this is, this is where the church at Sardis finds itself at. They don't even know that the Lord has left them. They still look like the church, operate like the church, function like the church, to which the Lord says, you have the reputation of being alive but you're dead. You've got this reputation that you're alive, but you're actually dead. Then Jesus speaks these words to this dead church in verses two and three. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then that you receive what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you, says Jesus to his church. So he's speaking to the faithful, few faithful believers in Sardis here, and he challenges them with these five, these five brief statements that is going to be helpful for all of us to put into our lives. Number one, he calls them to wake up, to waken up. Those who have life in Jesus Christ are called by Jesus to live life for him, to make him known. It's time to work. This is the time to work. We can't work in eternity. We're going to be resting and glorifying God in a different way. This is the time to serve in this evangelistic mode. So now is the time to waken up and to work for Jesus. So make sure you wake up. Number two, Christ urges this church to strengthen what remains and is about to die. Uh, those who with, with life in this church are to to rescue, to pluck to life again what is dying. This was once a flourishing ministry for Jesus Christ. Um, but, but Jesus says to the, uh, the people, to the members, hey, let's take it back to that. Bring it back to what it used to be. Let's, let's strengthen what remains because we've got to keep this stuff alive. Number three, remember what you have received and heard, says Jesus, these believers are being encouraged to look back over the letters that have been circulating through the New Testament churches. And this would remind them of truth, of the authority of the gospel, of the, uh, the might of their Lord Jesus Christ, of, of the glory of God, of the cost of their salvation, of their responsibility as being the redeemed of God. This is what they were to remember and to practice. Uh, number four, they are to keep these truths. It isn't enough just to know truth. They're called to live truth. And number five, Jesus calls them, as he has called other churches, to repent. These believers needed to repent. They needed to, to turn away from their sin. Their old lifestyles had to go. Change had to come. They had to move forward in a way that truly magnified and glorified Jesus Christ. Now, let's be clear here as to the words of Christ to them. If they don't take these actions, if you will not wake up in verse 3, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what are. I will come against you. 
This is Jesus speaking to his church. He's coming against them unless they wake up and repent. So Jesus will unexpectedly come to judge this church. And the same promise applies to every church. If we put apart from God's truth in any way at all, we can expect his judgment to come upon us. See, the, the, the church, the church belongs to Jesus Christ, and the church must be built and established according to his directives and never to our own philosophy, our own thought, our own good intentions. So in an effort to continue his encouragement then to these faithful few in Sardis, Jesus speaks these words in verse 4. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they're worthy. These certain people, says Jesus. So God always uh, seems to have those in church who remain faithful to him, a remnant if you want. They may be small in number, but God will remember them. So in, verse, in this verse here, verse 4, he refers to them as the people who have not soiled their garments. Uh, these faithful believers will enter glory and walk with Jesus Christ wearing the white garments of purity of which they are worthy, because in the face of adversity and objection, they remain faithful to truth, and that's what we're called to do. They love Jesus, they love the cross, they love the gospel, they love truth, and Jesus will reward them appropriately for that. So here in Sardis, this small body of faithful believers, they've refused to succumb to the liberal thinking and practices that had overtaken the believers all around them. And for such faithfulness, Jesus Christ says, I will reward you. Now, verse 5, Jesus speaks to the church as a whole. He, he broadens out here. That is, he speaks to everyone he professes to be a part of his bride, to anyone who claims to be part of what Jesus calls his church. Uh, and to all of these people throughout history, he says in verse 5, the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. These believers are the faithful ones who have remained uh, li living for truth, whilst those around them who have equally professed Christ have succumbed subtly to a message that replaces the gospel. Surely we can see this today. Um, churches that are walking away from truth, embracing other philosophies, practicing other ways, and, and claiming still to be on fire for God, and people flowing and flocking to that, and we're, we're, we're not preaching clarity to expose that. So this church in Sardis seemed to be every bit as troubled in some senses as the church is today. Author Carl Bratton writes of uh, today in his essay titled The Gospel for a Neo-Pagan Culture. Here's what he writes. I want to read it to you. He says, if the aim of the church is to grow, the way to do it is to make people feel good. And when people discover that there are no other ways to feel good, they leave the church they no longer need. The relevant church is sowing the seeds of its own irrelevance and losing its identity to boot. The big question today has become how to get the baby boomers back. What techniques and methods will do the trick? Polls are taken on what baby boomers want, and churches are competing to make sure they get it. In an effort to advance the, the church, we the believers, we're busily offering ideologies that are certain to succeed because we want our church, our church, to be successful. You see, we need to do church Christ's way. We need to do church God's way, permitting Christ to lead us in everything we do. This is so important because Jesus continues this message to these faithful believers and Sardis by saying in verse 5, I will, I will never blot out, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now, in the ancient world, it was common practice for the, the, the city rulers to keep a record of all their citizens. If you were a citizen, 
There was only two ways by which your name could be removed from the citizens' rule. And in Exodus 20, 32, 33, we read of Israel keeping such a book. And here the Lord says to Moses, whoever sins against me, I will blot out of my book. So here in Exodus, this would have been a, a reference to physical death which would mean you're removed from the book. But here in Revelation, it appears to be referring to an eternal damnation, eternal death, which would mean your removal from the book. Those are the two ways. But Jesus refers to this book of life, which seems to be God's eternal record of those to whom eternal life has been granted. And we meet these faithful believers again in Revelation 13, verse 8. Uh, there, there are those who refuse to worship the beast. So we read of them in Revelation 13, 1 to 10. Let me read this text to you. And I saw a beast, John writes, I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads. On its horn were ten crowns, and on its heads were blasphemous names. The beast I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority. One of its heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but its fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter boasts and blasphemies. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It, be it began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. And it was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. It was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All those who live on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. If anyone is ears to hear, let him listen. If anyone is to be taken captive into captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. This calls for endurance and faithfulness. From the saints so we're, we're called to endure here we're called to persevere we're called to keep pressing on because our names are in this book and these are the faithful followers of christ and at the end of time there's going to be several judgments that will take place and one such judgment will be what the bible calls the great white throne judgment here's what we read of it in revelation 20 verses 11 to 15 let me read it to you John says, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. You see how serious these books are? And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So it's pretty serious. We recognize we've got to be in this book. We've got to be have our names written and established in this book. And we only can get that done by the grace of God. So it's essential for you, for me as believers, to, to hear from Jesus that he will confess your name before the Father and before his angels. Can you remember his words to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, 32? Jesus says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now we're looking forward to eternity with Jesus. So as we journey there, persevering there, it's essential that we live life and do church 
do what he calls church according to his way and never our own way, as many good ideas as we may have. Personally and collectively, we, the redeemed of God, are called by to be faithful to Jesus Christ and to his word, irrespective of what others around us might do, irrespective of other churches, we're called, in our church, we're called, in our lives, we're called to be faithful to him. Now, in your faithfulness to Jesus Christ, as you sit in the church in Sardis, there's one final twist. You desperately want to wear those, those eternal white linens given only to the faithful. You want to hear Jesus speak well of your following him to the Father and to the angels. So you listen well and you listen intently to the final words to your church in verse 6. He who has an ear, that's you, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the true believer, this warning to the church referred to as being dead incredibly serves as an encouragement to your soul. You want to live for Jesus. You want to serve him. You want to honor him in everything you do. So you believe in Jesus, the head of the church, to, to not be finished with the church in Sardis, and you pray that he will somehow miraculously revive the church in Sardis. He will revive your church. He will revive this church that you love. And you realize more and more the responsibility on you to live for Jesus, to honor him, to glorify him. And you pray fervently that life, life, his life might once again visit these people who appear to be dead spiritually, these people around you. You want them brought back to life before they stand before him. And by the grace of God, history tells us that the church in Sardis had a spiritual reawakening. They graciously received a, a faithful and godly pastor in the second century known as Melito. He, history even suggests that it's likely he penned the first written commentary in the book of Revelation. And our hope in hearing such truths is that, that those who were dead in Sardis soon experienced the joy of coming to know Jesus as Lord, having repented of their sin and shedding their religious pride and piety and walking in a, in a persevering relationship with him. And of course, for ourselves, let's pray today that the Lord will be as gracious to us as we've listened to what he said to the church in Sardis, because our own churches, our own beings desperately need this uh, awakening also. Be blessed and be encouraged as you press on with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as you live for his glory, like the people in Sardis had that second chance to do. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great week, and we hope to catch you next week again. Stay blessed.